Ukraine and Russia both fire anywhere from like four to 8,000 artillery shells a day. So like right now, that's where the biggest shortage is. And that's why we always talk about, if you're talking about companies, you're talking about General Dynamics makes a lot of those. They have a plant already in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania that makes them, and they're building a new plant uh, in Texas. Uh, I forget where in Texas. But they have, you know, they also make propellants, charges, all that kind of stuff. And the military spent, I did write this down, uh, $1.5 billion to produce a hundred thousand of these, they want to make be able to make a hundred hundred thousand artillery, hundred fifty five millimeter artillery shells a month by twenty twenty eight. Right now, by next spring, we'll be making fifty seven thousand. So we're about halfway where we want to be in terms of artillery shell production. So there's a one and a half billion dollar funding initiative to get new plants up and start getting these things out. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. My name is Jason Freert, and once again, I'm here with another Jason. It's only Jason's here, Jason Simpkins. Welcome back to the show. Love to be here. So let's jump right into it. Um, It's October 12th, and there's a war in Israel. Yeah. Is that... Is that fair to say? Or <laughs> it, it's not really a war, I guess. There's no real wars anymore. It, it, does, just... it does seem kind of either lopsided or a bit of a gray area, right? right? Because it's not like Palestine is an official state with its own standing army. They have a governing you know, organization, which is Hamas. They have a political party slash terrorist organization that governs them. Right. Um, and so, but they are technically in control at that area that's blockaded, it's often referred to as an open-air prison. Uh, it's kind of cut off from, from the outside world. And then we had that really horrific attack uh, last weekend, which you just knew <laughs> was going to be a problem, you know. And, and you know, Israel is getting gearing up to, to it looks like, really kind of level it, level the whole Gaza Strip. Yeah, that, um, it does seem like, it's going to be pretty bad. I I have not when I heard there was an attack and they're like, oh, they're calling up people like from the military because in Israel, basically everybody's in the military. Right. Everybody's right? required. Yeah. Everybody's in for like for two years. And then after that, you're basically like the entire country's in the reserves. Yeah. You're on call. Yeah. So, so um, so they have um, I mean, they are small country but they have you know a, a lot more soldiers and, and military uh capability than whoever they're Certainly. trying to go against yeah i mean the gaza strip just for context there is about 140 square miles that is about the same as mobile alabama so except whereas mobile alabama has about two hundred and seventy thousand or so people living it the gaza strip has more than two million Right. Um, so it's a lot of people packed into a very small area, and like I said, they've they're usually they've been cut off by that Israeli blockade for uh, a long time, which is why you have a lot of this resentment uh, and kind of what leads to this. Uh, but again, and that's not to lay blame on anybody. There's a reason it was blockaded in the first place, right? I mean, I was talk everyone you talk to, you know, we all know we've all been living with this issue our entire lives. We all grew up with it. We all know that this Israel-Palestine conflict, this whole thing with just Israel and Iran, that 
it's a problem and it's a, you know it's what I call the world's least solvable problem. It's been this thing that we've been trying to just kind of deal with and gloss over and move on from for the past 75 to 100 years. And it just doesn't seem like we're going to be able to do that. It just seems like it's, right now is the time where it's really coming to a head and where we're going to see some really, really, really ugly stuff. Yeah, I was, you know, when I first heard about it, and they were like, oh, a thousand rockets. I didn't even, I just, I had no context. I was like, is that a lot for what? Because my understanding is like there's rocket attacks like on the regular yeah, over there yeah. and bombings and stuff like that. It, has it been, has it been relatively tame? And then this just sort of set it off or just the sheer scale of this is, is not, typically what they're seeing. Right. Yeah. So Israel's accustomed to a certain number of rocket attacks. I couldn't tell you how many it fields a day. I mean, you know, it, it obviously varies. Uh, but they're typically, you know, they got the Iron Dome there. Right. So that's, you know, that's why it's there. And it's, overall, it's extremely effective in terms of, you know, taking this stuff down. And it seems like Hamas finally got the idea of being like, okay, well, we're going to stockpile a bunch of rockets and we're going to fire them over there all at once and do an actual coordinated attack. And, I mean, they it really was coordinated. You know, we talk about combined arms, air, land, and sea power, where they have, you know, breaches of the barriers and walls on the ground, where they're coming around, you know, the ocean, where they're flying over in motorized paragliders. And they yeah, I saw those. There's attack. basically like, yeah, they're in parachutes with like industrial fans yeah, strapped to their much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, very crude but effective instruments. Right. Yeah. And so they shot rockets while also sending that right it was very according it was very targeted it was like they they had their targets they apparently constructed like a mock israeli settlement within the gaza strip and were practicing on that and that's why so many fingers on this and so many people are kind of turned an eye toward iran because Iran is Hamas's biggest benefactor. They give them about $100 million a year. They give them weapons. They, it was it, Iran that first supplied Hamas with the know-how and the materials needed to make suicide vests. That was back in the 1990s when they were having the uh, Oslo peace talks where they were trying to, you know, again, bridge this divide. And those talks ended up failing. They went on for like the entirety of the Clinton administration all the way to the year 2000, and they failed. And one of the reasons they failed was because you had this terrorist organization, you know, basically making peace impossible. And again, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to blame any one side because, I, again, as adults, I think we all understand that there's a very clearly enough blame to go around in this entire situation. And there are reasons on the Israeli side as to why they haven't been open to peace talks in certain capacities and why they draw their lines where they draw their lines. So it's not to you know put all the blame on Palestine and just saying, oh, there's a bunch of militants just going off the deep end. I mean – it's been back and forth for a while now, but it was the coordination of this tech. The, I mean, even for, for what you would call their level of sophistication that we're not really used to seeing from that group that they're not right. typically capable of. But we do know, again, Iran's been giving them the money. Typically, this stuff kind of comes through tunnels, either from the north, which is Lebanon, and that's where Hezbollah, another Iranian-backed uh, military organization, terrorist group, operates out of, and they've even started attacking a little uh, Israel a little bit. Now, they've been going back and forth these past few days, so now they're getting involved. And then to the south is Egypt, and Egypt has done 
you know, they made, I think, a pretty good effort at shutting down the underground tunnels that were feeding into the Gaza Strip. And they also apparently gave Israeli intelligence warnings that something was going to happen. And those warnings were apparently dismissed. Yeah, that that seems to be there's some a little suspect about yeah. the whole situation, given, like you said, the, the sophistication of Israeli Israeli intelligence is known to be like it's impactful. legit. It's among right? the best in the world. The Mossad Probably, is like yeah, yeah. Only behind the United States. Like right, almost certainly. So the the fact that this was planned for a year, and uh, they supposedly built a mock city, like they don't know about this. Right. Like and they had to have trained with like these para- like they didn't just get into these motorized paragliders and like you know do this stuff and and land in exactly where they're supposed to land and and execute this without training somewhere else. And so that's why they think that these militants, a lot of them left the country through probably these underground tunnels, probably snuck out by Iran or Hezbollah or whoever, and they maybe practiced and trained a little bit uh, outside of the country and then came back in and executed it. Uh, And that's that's a scary thought, too, because, again, one of the things that happened with the United States is, you know, we immediately started sending, you know, carrier fleets and stuff closer and over. And, you know, that's really not a warning to, you know, the Palestinians because they got their hands full with the Israelis. But it's so that Iran stays out of it. Right. And so now it's going to be a matter of, like, do they stay out of it? Who who else, if now we've got Hamas and Hezbollah dipping its toe in, and you have these other militant groups that are located all over, the, and Iran has a ton of proxy groups throughout the region, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Yemen, where they're fighting Saudi Arabia. They've really kind of, it, it's really chaotic throughout the region, in part because Iran funds so many of these terrorist organizations and proxy groups and militants. And the whole goal is really to make the situation untenable for Israel. And so it, there's a question of who's going to attack them. If if Israel goes full forced into the Gaza Strip and they're all focused over there, do any of these other military groups start storming in behind, you know, where or f- from the north, uh, again, with Hezbollah, like what's next? Does Iran get involved? And that's, you know, that's a big kind of question. And if they do, then obviously, I, you know, I, I, it's all but certain that the United States would at that point. Right. And, and that's, I guess, the bigger question that people in, you know, in the U.S. or just really that are outside of the Middle East are concerned because we have obviously the Russia-Ukraine situation. Right. And is, I, I mean, is, you know, is this the reason this attack was sort of done now because everybody's sort of distracted with their or Iran now has funds since they sort of I guess got their sanctions loosened so after Trump basically canceled their deal and now what they're back to you know not less sanctions I guess because oil prices went up and we want some of that oil like there's a lot of moving parts here right well i mean iran is gonna iran they're gonna have oil money <laughs> and I, I we could this you really touched on a lot of things there so i'm gonna i'm gonna have to cut these up but so first with the timing the most suspicious thing about the timing is that the u.s has been trying to broker this deal to normalize relations between saudi arabia and israel which would be a nice step for them because not many countries in that region formally acknowledge Israel. I think, you know, Jordan does going back maybe to the 1970s. There's a few in there that do. Saudi Arabia would be probably the biggest and most influential well, Middle Eastern Well, a country. lot of the countries, like, I mean, Iran in particular are just like, yeah, we want to destroy all 
Jews, basically. Yeah, I mean, like, that, we want to wipe the them off thing. the map. And it's again, like kind of like, this seems kind of threatening. The, and here. that's where you get the hardliners on both positions. There are a lot of, you know, Israeli hardliners that think the only solution to this problem is killing all the Palestinians, is genocide on their side. And then at the same time, you've got these other, you know, militants on, you know, the, the fundamentalist side of Iran or of like, you know, basically the Muslim world, which believe that Israel has to be eradicated. So, it, you know, it's a very, it's very much like a zero sum game going on over there. But the a big thing is too, yeah, if Saudi Arabia acknowledges Israel as a state, that gives it, you know, more legitimacy and a kind of legitimacy that Iran certainly doesn't want it to have. Now, does that mean necessarily that Iran staged this attack to happen at this juncture at this moment that they told Hamas to do it? Not necessarily. Hamas could have just reached this, this own conclusion independently. They, they're probably angry at this U.S. potential U.S.-Saudi Arabia-Israel deal for the same reasons Iran is. They probably saw the writing on the wall there too. Well, and, and if it to took them an entire year to plan this, clearly, like, it's not just like, hey, you guys are doing this one thing. I'm pissed well, off. I'm going to run over. It was clearly like, the negotiations for, for that have been going on for years, at least at least for the since the beginning of the Biden administration. They've been trying to, and the United States and Saudi Arabia have been buddying up for a while now. Like you know, there have been a lot of arms deals. You know, with the with this new one, there was talk of a defense pact. You know, they want nuclear technology, like um, you know, nuclear power technology from the United States. They want there's a lot of things they want from us. Uh, and again, starting with weapons to combat. Iran and Yemen and the proxies and, and this whole proxy where they've been fighting in Yemen and other places in the region. And like I said, we just talked about how active Iran has been, especially putting roots ever since, you know, the United States left Iraq and Afghanistan. Iran's flooded into that power vacuum. So that's a lot of regional power balance going on with Israel just sitting as this giant elephant in the room. And so the reality is now, though, it puts Saudi Arabia in a position where they can't, you know, make a positive step towards Israel if Israel is re rolling over the Gaza Strip in tanks. Like, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna sit. They, they come out and they are, you know, one of these countries that doesn't really condemn the terrorist attack of, you know, a week ago. They're not gonna say Israel's right and, whoa, everybody leave Israel alone. They're not gonna do that. So that puts them in a different, different situation. However, what I will say, and this too is important, because when you talk about Russia, yes, this is absolutely a huge win for Russia, because, yeah, it draws attention and it draws resources from the West away from Ukraine to this other issue, which for the right now is kind of like the biggest issue in the world all of a sudden. And this has been part of like kind of my overall theory on this, which is that basically we've been fighting World War III for the past 15 years. So, and you know, what I mean by that is if you go back around 15 years into like mid, late 2000s, you start to find that these countries, particularly Iran, China, and Russia have reasons to be increasingly antagonistic towards the United States. One reason, so like at the same time, if you think back to that time, we had our wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, which initially looked like, oh, okay, well, 9-11 happened and so they're retaliating. But then it, as it went on, it began to be like, this is really just kind of a war choice and an occupation. And there's no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, like you said. And this now just looks like you guys stomping around and imposing your will and trying to get like cheap oil or install a friendly regime in Iraq. This is nothing like what you said. This is American imperialism by any other name. And we, Iran, Russia, and China, want to know why you're allowed to do that 
and we're not. That hammered, that hurt and undermined U.S. credibility on the world stage in that way. Similarly, the economic collapse of 2008, that kind of undermined the U.S.'s role as the central pillar of the global economy. That's when a lot of this talk about getting away from the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency and start implementing a global reserve like the SDR, or they started having more currency swaps between themselves so they wouldn't have to exchange for dollars to get trade. And it was like, why does America have this oversized influence in the global economy when they've just about driven it to the brink of ruin? You know, why on the world stage is America allowed to do whatever they want, but then whenever we want to do something that's even vaguely imperialistic, we get problem for it. The other thing kind of happened is with all three of those companies, you look at the sanctions. So China has been sanctioned for its human rights abuses and for spying. Russia has been sanctioned for invading Ukraine not once but twice, first in 2014 when they annexed Crimea and now when they tried it again last year to go for the whole thing. Iran's been sanctioned over its nuclear program. So now you've got these three global economic pariahs that have been effectively kind of driven into each other's arms. Like they were already interested in what each other had to say because what they all had to say was anti-America. It was all anti-West. It was like, we have to undo this global order that is stifling us and giving America and Europe free reign to do whatever the hell they want while we sit on the sidelines and have to play by their rules. Now here we are with our laboring under these sanctions together so that's where you get now this this cooperation between the three. You know, Russia and Iran work together developing energy infrastructure. Russia invested something like $40 billion in an Iranian gas project like just last year. We saw you, you, uh, Iranian drones being deployed in Ukraine by Russia. We see Russian military technology popping up in Iran. We see oil from both Russia and Iran, who, are, who have their energy sector sanctioned, going to China. So you have this triumvirate of countries that really at this point hate us and have been waging kind of a soft war. Where And you see it with... Uh, again, Ukraine, you saw, it, you saw it first in Georgia when Russia invaded Georgia in 2008. And then when, when they went and said, okay, that was actually pretty effective, now we're going to do that again in Ukraine. You see it in China in the way they're acting in the South China Sea and threatening Taiwan. And now you're seeing it Iran and their proxies launch you know, an extremely aggressive and dramatic attack on Israel that hasn't happened in decades. I mean, we've seen some flare-ups over the, the past bit, but I can't think of a time, at least in my lifetime, where things were this bad and things got this this brutal. So you have this kind of ugly axis of like, I mean, I guess what George W. Bush kind of referred to as the axis of evil, yeah. you know? That I don't think China like, was involved I don't think in they that, were in it either. But it does seem like it, it is setting, like it is setting up perfectly for China to go and take Taiwan. Yeah. Because how, you know, maybe not this year, or I even think someone over there basically gave a date of like 2026. Like basically, yeah. these pla- these people are, t- they're, they're telling people what they're going to do, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but they just do it over and over in a very provocative way. And then they just take their time. And then people are like, oh, they're not really going to do it. They keep saying that. And then they actually do it. Right. Like, it's what? almost like you think they're bluffing, but they're not. And what we saw, one of the, I mean, big kind of failures of that Obama presidency ended up being that Iran Iran deal because, you know, the whole thing was like, hey, you know what, maybe if we negotiate, maybe if we give them a carrot and not just the stick, we can get through this logjam. And I mean, in their defense, you know, 
<laughs> invading Iraq and Afghanistan didn't solve anything either. It just made things work. You know, so you're only going to get so far with with military force and intervention and you get to that point where it's like okay you knocked a country down what are you going to do to build it back up and in our case we said nothing leave but like if you're so if you're not going to go that route it's like okay well maybe we'll try the diplomatic route well that didn't work either because these countries are so committed to their long-term objectives in iran's case obliterating and ultimately get getting rid of israel in china's case establishing itself as at least a if not the principal superpower in the world and at least you know it's uh, you know kind of its own sole superpower in its hemisphere free of the u.s pacific fleet free of u.s intervention in that pacific region at the very least. And then Russia wants the freedom to effectively rebuild the Soviet Union. So these things, you know, they're not, they're clearly not willing to give up on them. Not Vladimir Putin, not Xi Jinping, not, you know, the Ayatollah. This is, this is, these are the objectives. This is what they want and this is what they're doing. Yeah. So I've always kind of been of the opinion that this is, I agree with you, this is basically World War III. It is. But it's, fought in a way that is not uh, traditional, like storming the beach in Normandy style. Right. It's There's kind of like a pseudo There's cyber attacks. Mm-hmm. And like you said, cyber attacks all the time, proxy wars and uh, supplying. I mean, you know, we're all but fighting the war against Russia by – except for the manpower. Right. So the question is, is is this going to escalate to the point where Americans actually get involved or is it going to sort of stay like this until uh, I guess one one or more of these countries basically collapse, which I think is basically the, the U.S. strategy is they want – Russia to basically collapse. They want, a coup. The they want a coup there. They yeah. want, but that also doesn't necessarily mean that whoever, whoever no. takes over, <laughs> it doesn't mean you're going to get a, a better yeah. alternative. Like some liberal progressive thinker is going to come in and replace Vladimir Putin to take over the Russian oligarchy. Yeah. No, it's going to be another scumbag. It was almost Prigozhin, you know. Like yeah. that's a thing. And Russia is obviously in a bad way. I don't think people realize the extent to which they are just abjectly failing in Ukraine. Um, and like we did see it in July when with Prigozhin's kind of mini rebellion. And I mean, I was shocked <laughs> he didn't go through with it because I'm like, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, dude. Like once you got the tank column and you're heading to Moscow, like stopping halfway and turning around is well, not an option. Well, and you saw how it yeah, ended. Yeah, saw how it he, ended for he him. He died in a plane crash. Yeah, and it, but it's not like he was a good guy. It's not like he was like, it's all right, everybody. I'm going to reclaim Russia for the people. He was like, no, I want to be the thug that runs the show. Yeah. You know, like everybody yeah. wants to be the thug that runs the show. So all this stuff is taking place not on the U.S. shores, but obviously, uh, you know, U.S. Uh, military budget and companies are heavily involved. How how much of that now is um, – how much of the budget is actually sort of making its way overseas or are these like additional line items that are getting – because it seems like basically when we're saying, hey, we're sending – x dollars to ukraine it's not really that it's not like we're sending cash like a lot of times it's like we're sending like 15 tanks that are worth x amount and now we need to restock our 
our tanks, so we're going to get the brand new tanks over here. Yeah, there's a lot of that. So, like, a lot of times, too, with Ukraine, you have to break out the aid because, you know, they're also sending, you know, food and medical supplies and humanitarian aid. Uh, it means financing Ukraine's debts so that they can just can stay solvent as a country and, you know, continue to borrow or whatever like that's that's the kind of funding that is you know most of it i will say this of the overall u.s budget foreign aid accounts for one percent uh of the defense budget this stuff is usually carved out and separate the defense budget is at a record high 858 billion it's going to continue to go up because of what we saw last year with the ukraine invasion what we're seeing right now and what we see in the future with China. Like I said, we're seeing the past, present, and future conflict all happen at once here. Uh, So that's all going to happen. A lot of it is sending out old stuff that we don't use anymore, Uh, like recent stuff that's gone out, like cluster bombs. There are things that we don't really rely on anymore. Uh, We have more precision munitions, better long-range munitions. We don't really need cluster bombs so much anymore. We're sending F-16s because we have F-35s. You know, we can move out Abrams or whatever. It's it's basically just a big yard sale. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and it's just kind of moving this stuff over. Uh, It's, it's, you know, arms transfers. It's sending, you know, the the big thing is like 155-millimeter artillery shells because they're burning through. Russia expended about $10 Uh, artillery shells last year. These, like, Ukraine and Russia both fire anywhere from, like, four to 8,000 artillery shells a day. So, like, right now, that's where the biggest shortage is. And that's why I always talk about, if you're talking about companies, you're talking about General Dynamics makes a lot of those. They have a plant already in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, that makes them, and they're building a new plant uh, in Texas. Uh, I forget where in Texas. But they have you know, they also make propellants, charges, all that kind of stuff. And the military spent, I did write this down, uh, $1.5 billion to produce 100,000 of these. They want to make be able to make 100,000 artillery, 155 millimeter artillery shells a month by 2028. Right now, by next spring, we'll be making 57,000. So we're about halfway where we want to be in terms of artillery shell production. So there's a $1.5 billion funding initiative to get new plants up and start getting these things out. Uh, but like I said, this is all to keep up too with the Joneses because in a, in a way, Russia now, which is kind of surprising, is, is producing more weapons than it was before the war. So like before the war, they were cranking out like 100 tanks a month. Now they're doing 200. So they've been able to ramp up there because they are actually, again, they're actively at war. Uh, they're they're really they're in a wartime economy. Yeah, they had to, still and they were clear, of, clearing out all their old Soviet era yeah. stuff too. Yeah, and it's not and especially good stuff. Yeah. yeah, but a lot it was a lot of surplus stuff and stuff that you know that they had kind of left over from the Cold War, and they're not really replacing it with new, better stuff. It, like the, it's really hard for Russia to manufacture military equipment or especially advanced military equipment again with all the sanctions that are on them. They can do it, but what it means is importing things like electronics from Qatar and then deconstructing them, like getting smart appliances and taking the microchips out and then putting them in missiles. Like that's the kind of stuff that they have to do. They have to kind of go around 
and and go the long way when it comes to producing especially advanced stuff um so but you could see the arms race developing yeah. and that kind of goes back to again the whole world war three idea you know china is spending you know a record amount on its military and it doesn't even really tell us how much it's spending we just know even the official numbers are astronomically high and rising uh we're raising our own defense spending all this is 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 coming up yeah, it seems like too. I mean, that since COVID, there's been this push for the, you know, the de-globalization, and it it almost seems like they know, like, you know, with the reshoring of chip manufacturing, it almost seems like the U.S. expects that, like, hey, like, China's going to take Taiwan, and then we're not going to be able to get any chips. Over <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, it seems, and yeah. and so we better start building them over there. It's almost like, hey, like, give us a couple of years to, like, get our production up and then go ahead and, 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 and do your or thing. Or it's compromise. It's like so many things we've seen from China in the past. Like, the big one people talk about is always, like, rare earth metals, you know, because mm-hmm. they produce such a huge portion of the earth's rare earth metals, and, you know, we need those to manufacture these, these advanced components. Or, you know, it can be microchips or stuff like that. There are things that we rely on China for because its role for a long time is basically the world's manufacturing floor, its ability to produce these things in great quantities at, you know, cheap cost, and then sell them to the West. And I think, you know, we've obviously come to realize that that's not healthy, that that's not, that's not healthy for us as a country. It doesn't protect our national security. It's not good for the world to have China have play such an outsized role in these really sensitive areas, these technological areas. And as we look to it, technology and the role it's playing going forward, and we're talking about stuff like AI playing a role in military weapons platforms, you know, things are only going to get more technologically sophisticated from here. You know, we're like I said, they're doing more AI platforms, but another big thing for the military is linking everything up in a giant cloud they want you know every submarine and jet fighter and tank and infantry group and satellite connected all in one cloud so they can all instantaneously share information with each other autonomously so like to do that you need a tremendous amount of technology yeah and you and that's not something you want to have produced in china you do not want something um so so that's all i mean i know there's laws and regulations about like particular things having to be produced in in the u.s just for national security one of the things i wanted to talk about was was this um new technology i think you're calling it project wingman oh yeah so um do you want to share a little bit about that it's i kept thinking of just top gun yes like the new era of top gun it kind of is and so that's what i call it because it's a little it's a little bit catchier than collaborative combat aircraft which is what the military <laughs> calls it yeah they, so need, they it, need a better they need a better marketing <laughs> yeah, you know the military yeah. so like i call it project wingman but what they've been doing and this started as kind of like an experimental project these past few years where they were pairing jet fighters up with companion aircraft that are drones. So, and they can deploy from any number of wings. Some are small enough that they can deploy from underneath the jet's wing like a missile would. Uh, Some of them are bigger and they're ground launched, but they just go up there with them. Uh, Others are meant to be like swarms that come out of basically the back of a cargo plane and an attack like that. But they can provide a variety of functions. 
Um, and like, so they can fly ahead and scout out and identify and even neutralize like enemy anti-aircraft defenses. So if you're going to go on any kind of bombing run or try to take out any kind of targets or you're approaching, you know, a hostile, well-defended area, you can send the drones in, you know, have them fly ahead, map everything out. Like I said, all that data goes back to the manned fighters, which, by the way, cost 70 to $80 million, whereas the drones only cost about 5 to $15 million, so they're attribable. You don't want to lose them, but you can. You know, like, it's better than losing a $70 million plane than its pilot. Yeah, well, we recently had the, was it an F-35 yeah. that went down? Yeah, they got so, jumped so out of it. Did they, ever, did they ever find it? They found its wreckage, yeah. They yeah, found it. They so, it I mean, that's basically gone right right there seven like yeah um so that's that's cool so it seems like maybe the trend is yeah look we don't need a fleet of you know these you know billion dollar aircraft right that are that are manned by a person like maybe we'll have a couple and then we kind of have these like autonomous drones that right. are in service of these main and people things. have really seen just how effective drones have been in ukraine they, like they absolutely like you know i'm not gonna say obliterated because it still exists but they hammered the russian black sea fleet with these things with like seaborne drones well they were like, sending them into uh moscow yeah they were hitting they moscow to... yeah. with them you know they they've been hitting you know they had some fighter jets just sitting out in an airfield and they're taking them down with those and like they said, you know, you can take out, a, you know, military equipment of the magnitude of tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars with drones that only cost a few million bucks. The return on your investment there is huge. And, you know, like I said, if you're the United States, you know, pairing these things with manned groups makes sense because you, you do want to save those platforms. You also want to save the pilots and you can have them out there performing a variety of functions. And what it really is, though, is it's going to basically be a stepping stone to a completely AI Air right. Force is ultimately the way it's going to be because there's there's only something like 80 pilots even capable of flying a B-2 bomber, okay? Like, it takes so much training. You have to be so, like, competent and, you know, so basically accomplished and, you know, really good at flying <laughs> bombers and planes to even handle these things. And there just aren't that many pilots out there right and you have you, you spend all this money on training and right. then you know they retire or whatever right. whereas if you have a, a computer it it, it never retires right. it just and gets faster and and uh, more capable what they've also found is that the computers are in fact better than the man fighters they've now like and they, this has still only been tested a few times in a variety of ways but it's been happened all over the world china's done it china had you know, a guy at a ground station operate uh, an aerial drone and take out a bunch of Chinese fighter jets. Same thing happened in the United States. They put an entire squad of their best fighter pilots up against one AI pilot. The AI pilot wiped the floor with them, just absolutely destroyed them. And it's when you see it, you can kind of get it because, like, the human body and like your reaction time and the amount of mental calculations you have to make in a high intensity fast moving flight like that when you're going so fast and you're making all these maneuvers and it's you have to keep track of the target and you're looking all over and then even when you lock on processing it and hitting the button and firing the munition like the computer does that all instantaneously i mean there's no sensor to shooter timeline as soon as it senses the target it fires there's no hesitation there's no double checking there's no like rubbing sweat out of your eye there's no 
nothing. It's just an instantaneous shot as soon as it happens. They're also capable of simply doing more. Like a human pilot, if you're flying, if you, like once you get to like a gravitational of like six Gs, you're you're pretty much going to black out at that point right. within like a minute or two. Like you you know like you can only go so fast in a plane before you pass out and your body can't take anymore. There's all kinds of videos on like YouTube and stuff of pilots like passing out. <laughs> like it, it's just what happens. But the planes they're flying are capable of going two or three times faster than that. They can pull 15 Gs if the pilot wasn't unconscious by that point. <laughs> right. So if instead you don't have that pilot there and it's just the AI flying it, they can do more. They can make the most out of that aircraft, whereas the human pilot kind of holds the technology back at this point. That's kind of where we're at. The, the technology has now exceeded human capability. That's that's crazy. So so there's no Top Gun three coming. You don't. Think? Well, there. I mean, there's probably going to be a Top Gun three. Like when it, I don't I don't see Hollywood losing its appetite for sequels anytime soon. Like I mean, as soon as long as Tom Cruise is cash and checks. I mean, the last one was huge. Like, yeah. So I gotta think. So it is interesting to bring up the the basically the technology is outpaced humans. It, it, we can't talk about this without talking about the the UAPs that have oh, come sure. up here. Yeah. So is that maybe what this is? Like people, <laughs> is it is it alien, like AI technology? Is how, how um, what's your take on that? Do, well, I mean, do the defense contractors have alien technology? I'm certain they do. Like if, <laughs> if it's me, if it's me answering, I personally believe they do. Like I'm, I'm pretty deep on that stuff. Like I'm like, you know what? Roswell happened. They recovered an <laughs> aircraft. They got stuff out of it. Like, and there was always. But like, they don't really know what to make of it. I right. guess. Well, the rumors is stuff that we got like fiber optics from it. That right. we got Kevlar from it. That there are certain like things that just popped up after that event that like kind of came out of nowhere and came out of like again government defense labs, which I research constantly, just for that reason because they are always on the forefront of these technological leaps. It seems whether or not they're getting it from aliens, I don't know. But, like, it's not implausible to me. Like, yeah, maybe they did. Maybe we did figure out, oh, wait, you could just shoot light through a glass, like, wire, like a bendable kind of glass wire, and that works maybe more effectively than a conductor, like a metal conductor. We can do this. We can do, like, all this. We have this material now. If you blend, you know, these two metals, you get Kevlar or whatever it is. Uh, So I think, yeah, I think they do, because why else would they be hiding it? You know, I think... You know, when we talk about, like, especially what's come out over the past few years where there's been a little bit, just just like the smallest amount of transparency from the government in terms of releasing that, like the, the uh, jet fighter footage from the aircraft carrier off the coast of California mm-hmm. and basically kind of going like, okay, you're, you know, you're not crazy. We all, there's something happening. There's stuff up there. We can't identify it. We don't know what it is. Uh, and, you know, but you still know that's only a fraction of what they know. That's only a fraction. They didn't just come clean with us. So is it, I mean, do you think it is alien stuff or do you think it's other like top secret military shit? I think it's both. (laughs) It's both. Like it's gotta be, you know, I'm sure there's stuff they're working on that's extremely advanced. I mean, like I've read about some crazy stuff, all of it unsubstantiated about, you know, what they're trying to do with genes and gene cloning and making super soldiers. And there's like, there's a whole, you know, dark kind of underbelly of like, you know, either this kind of rumor or conspiracy about secret clandestine programs the government's working on, kind of like a Stranger Things type. Well, like. th- this uh, 
congressional hearing testimony, I think the guy was named David Grush, mm-hmm. like came out and basically was like, I interviewed a bunch of people and they told me that, yeah, <laughs> it's hidden. <laughs> but he never actually like saw anything. He just talked to people that supposedly, right? And you know, the... and then when the c- c- Congress, you know, when the Congress is saying like, well, hey, and he's like, I, I can't tell you that because of like top secret shit or whatever. And then, and then nothing really comes of it. So right. I mean, that's kind of been where we've, we've been with it for a while. I mean, no one's ever emerged with proof. Well, I guess, I don't know, maybe that professor in Mexico with the alien body. Yeah, that's like, I mean, but no one ever comes out with rock, like right. solid evidence. Like, yep, I smuggled out an alien corpse. Here right. it is, everybody. You know, here's here's the UFO or here's part of it. Or here is some like definitive footage and stuff that can be verified uh, that shows all of, you know, the the UFO, the secret UFO lab in sight, you know? Right. But I've also heard, too, like, people always kind of theorize that, you know, the U.S. military would would not basically consolidate all that research in one space, that they would take pieces of the technology and, you know, leave it with different labs and just be like, hey, can you look at this and tell us what it is or what we might be able to do with it? Right. And then go to a different lab and ask them about something different or the same thing differently and kind of have this kind of scattered approach to it where they never really clue anybody in on the big picture. They're always just working on a very small part. A decentralized. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess it's also possible that they – have recovered something and it's crazy technology, but they're like, we have no idea how yeah. to reproduce it or we need to yeah. do there. There's been talks of like, Hey, like some of this stuff needs like to be f- created in space. And so like, we don't have a manufacturer in zero gravity. The sure. only way to make this is zero gravity and we don't have, you know, manufacturer. Yeah, you need a star yard. R- right. Something like that. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's always interesting. Um, to think about that specifically related to the these defense stuff because like they're you know they're in control right like mm-hmm. if lockheed martin has an alien spacecraft locked somewhere like you know they uh i mean they're pretty much and the government knows about it like that's a contract for life right right like yeah they're not gonna just yeah. be like hey and it's monopoly on that. Right. You know, I think that's 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 kind of probably guess the core as to why we haven't had full on disclosure in this area. Why the government It's always worries. national security, yeah, right? It's always, hey, well, we can't tell you that because we want to maintain a monopoly on this technology, even if we don't know what to do with it, even if we don't know what it is, because either it gives us an edge where we can eventually maybe make a breakthrough and, you know, China won't because they don't have a UFO that they recovered. Like or but it seems like it's like how far away is U.S. technology from the rest of the world? You right. know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, now they're saying, you know, that, oh, like China got ahead of the U.S. in, in hypersonics. Yeah, like they they're catching up. So if we had something locked away, like wouldn't we have some fucking badass cool shit already that they're like, what? <laughs> or is we're just waiting until – Wait we, until the war, until World War Three becomes yeah, a we don't need, fire yeah, war. We yeah, don't we need don't to need do it. that. Okay. I, I, I'll i buy that. I'll buy that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we don't that's need to break what, out the big guns yet. We can keep yeah. our alien laser rays <laughs> under wraps and then surprise you with them like when you go to try and take Taiwan and all of a sudden we just blow you out of the water okay. with an alien spacecraft that you had no idea we yeah. had. Okay. I'll buy that. Yeah. I'll buy that. Uh, I think that's a good. I think that's a good note to end it on. Uh, so thanks th- for listening today, everyone. Yeah, um, make fun. sure you like and subscribe. And if you do 
know anything about hidden alien spacecraft and military bases, uh, let us know in the yeah, comments do below. Let us know. We, we do really enjoy talking about that. Yeah, uh, Simpkins will he'll come out and uh, and vet it, and, I will, uh, and we'll release it right here on the podcast. If you got something you need me to look at, it's of alien origin. I'll be there. I'll make the trip out. I'll come see you. All right, take care. <laughs>